Oh, that should be down. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the very first sessions of of J. Cal and Jeremiah Plunkett. Because it's not just me. No, no, no. It's JP as well. Mr. Jeremiah Plunkett, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? Good. If if uh, if you've never watched this podcast before, there's a hallmark that there's always got to be some sort of error uh, starting the show. Sometimes the mic is muted. Sometimes the camera's not working. Sometimes you leave a graphic up longer than you're supposed to. Yeah, I got really scared that we we're going to do this entire podcast looking at my face. <laughs> I mean, I guess I mean, we really technically are. But <laughs> I was going to say, we're still looking at your face. Uh, so, yeah, man, uh, this is a you know, the, the big introduction. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to the, uh, the sessions with Jake Howe. Each and every time we bring you a sessions, I like to talk NWA with somebody past, present, or future of the National Wrestling Alliance. Of course, I'm talking to Jeremiah Plunkett, who represents really the past, the present, and the future of the NWA, as you'll see him weekly on NWA Power, Tuesday, 6.05 on Fight TV, or Fridays at, uh, what is it, uh, uh, 6.05 also as well, yes. uh, and then of course uh, you could check them on NWA USA when you occasionally pop up on that program as well. Uh, still, pretty much one of the uh, one of my favorite parts of this current uh, version of the NWA is that um, the hallmarks to the past were not forgotten. Uh, we always hear about, of course, the the road that brought us here. Uh, you know, Tim Storm is revered as a hero. Uh, Jack Stane is the you know, the, the national champion, the North American champion, the tag team champion, the former world champion. And and a guy like you, you know, who, who people might not know, your history with the NWA is very tied. Uh, a lot of your career has been working for various uh, NWA promotions over the years uh, before, obviously, the Lightning One era uh, consolidated. But even uh, for a very long time, working with promotions in that Mid-South area. And uh, you're a dude who not only do I enjoy your work, but uh, having having had the pleasure of speaking to you in public, uh, you're just a heck of a dude. So I'm really happy to have you on the show. I I can't do that introduction any kind of justice. That that was awesome, man. Um, yeah, I guess it did spend a lot of time. I, I was thinking about it when, when we were first talking about this, and I'm like, I didn't spend that much time working for the NWA, but I guess really I did. But I think I was only following the NWA as it were when, when I was working at saw, I feel like, you know, because I saw the inner workings going on behind, whereas it was ju just three letters when I pop in at NWA Chattanooga or NWA uh, right. event or something like that, you know, cause it was just a once every couple month thing that I might do there. Whereas saw was a regular weekly, you know, weekly town. Well, when you were doing those stadium in shows uh, in Nashville as uh, Jay Phoenix, I mean, <laughs> oh, the U oh no, <laughs> US USWO was representing that National Wrestling Alliance. I know it wasn't uh, at that point in time in history in 2008, but I mean, it wouldn't be long before the USWO was uh, co promoting events with the, um, gosh, I'm trying to think it was the, I know the abbreviation was ATL, but I don't remember what the ATL stood for. No one ever knew. <laughs> legitimately and like we would ask the and i use this term extremely loosely promoter uh bill de shields i believe his name was uh but we'd ask him and he'd be like if you ever find out there's a reward he was a weird guy it was like an easter egg and, and no one ever discovered it 
Yeah, no, no, ever. That's awesome. See, <laughs> something you did not know. And and those those shows were co-promoted. Um, I mean, that's kind of what gave birth to the NWA Cyber Slam, which I that to me was a, a vessel unto itself. I wish, I wish, I wish YouTube was more prevalent back in those days because I feel like that show got slept on. And you know, uh, at the time there was you know there was Smoky Mountain uh, TV and um, Smoky Mountain obviously uh, this kind of predated what they were doing at the Sawmill. But, uh, you know, there's championship wrestling from Hollywood. And then you had this cyber slam program in the middle of Tennessee. And it's such just a, a weird combination of characters. I mean, I, that's the first time I, I believe I saw Josephus. I saw the cliffhanger. I saw yourself. Uh, tell me about cyber slam and how did that happen? What what do you know about it anyways? I mean, I know you were a, a talent, not so much a producer, but tell me about that. Um. So from, from my recollection, Cyber Slam was kind of like it was in, Mike Cersei with NWA Top Rope. Yeah. And Tim Thomason or Kroll, who was, I mean, he was the mastermind behind like a lot of the USWO stuff, like as far as the booking. Tony Falk was a promoter. Kroll did a lot of the booking and a lot of the TV. Um, and then Sawmill, like Inferno, all Kroll. All Kroll, okay. 100%. Um, so that was kind of like them getting together on a project and, and Kroll would get in with projects as he loved doing TV production. So he'd get in on projects. USWO had a show, um, as we're talking about NWA cyber slam, even though it was pretty short lived from what I remember. It was, uh, then of course saw both versions NWA saw and Southern all-star wrestling when, it, when it was a bit syndicated. Um, has he done anything since, uh, he, he worked with, uh, it was NWA New South for a moment, but it was toward the toward the buyout when that split. But New New South uh, wrestling up for Franklin, Kentucky, they had a TV show too. So he just he'll get in with promotions and like they'll do TV for a while. You know, it, it's it's wild because um, you know we I've been fortunate out here in in Southern California that uh, we've had locally produced pro wrestling for a couple of years now with Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. You know where we have TV wrestling studio style tv wrestling um how is it out there in tennessee do you have a lot of up and down do you have a lot of programming uh or is it just kind of uh is it more rare is it something that you guys get a lot of right now i don't think there's anything uh, at least in the middle tennessee area i i can't think of any independent wrestling on tv at all um when i was getting in or thinking about getting into wrestling uh we had a couple so on a public access channel uh, here in uh, the Middle Tennessee area, uh, it was actually the MTSU channel, uh, Middle Tennessee State University. So they got okay. time on their public. So they had a student who had to be the director and everything so that they could get on. Um, and it was called WMF Medium Rare, and it was a bunch of guys doing hardcore stuff in an armory. Um, but it was actually the first independent show I ever went to. And then uh, we had Burt Prentice, who had TV forever. Um, USWO late night would come on at a public access channel at like 3 a.m. on a Wednesday or some crazy time <laughs> slot that nobody, nobody except us drunk college kids ever saw. Uh, da, da, da. If you count USWA in the early to late 90s, maybe, but it depends on if you count that or not. And I can't, I, I feel like I'm missing something besides Saw when obviously Saw started. But yeah, past that, I don't think, I can't think of anything else in, in years. Yeah, well, in, like, look, oh, in, NWA uh, main event. Sorry, NWA main event. I forgot about uh, that one. Mike Porter, right? Right. Yeah. 
have any good stories about Mike Porter? I worked for Mike a few times. Um, so my trainers were uh, were like Mike Woods, Buzzed Up, and Lee Condry. All three of them worked for NWA Main Event almost exclusively there for a while. Um, Mike was always fine fine to me. Uh, what good Mike? I, I do know I I booked for him for one time, so you know he was he was doing bad if he, he was letting my green butt at the time book for him, and I was getting paid, and no one else was getting paid and ha, or had ever been paid by Mike Porter. That's yeah, that was always a thing. You don't get paid if you work for Mike, um, but I was getting paid, and I was like, all right, that's weird, but I'm going to accept it. And then I think come to find out, either one or a couple people on the show were giving Mike money to give me to do this. I found that out well after the fact. <laughs> um, and the only other weird Mike, Mike story I have, and I don't know if God, if I could even tell it. Well, there's no, uh, there's no uh, rating on here. So uh, <laughs> uh, it was mainly just the fact I, I, the first night I ever wrestled for him post just being a green guy that my trainers brought in a, a time or two. Uh I asked him, you know, I asked to ask any promoter, especially the first time I worked for him, hey, was everything all right? Is everything good for you? He goes, yeah. He goes, I do have one question. Then I go, what's that? Let me preface by saying Mike is openly gay. Um, but he's like, do you stuff your trunks? He goes, <laughs> no. He goes, you want me to teach you how? And that was my, that. And then, so I play it off and I laugh. And then I shake shake his hand and I get the old finger inside the palm gimmick. But like that, he that's the only thing he ever did though. Like he, he always kidded. And then, but he'd tell me some great stories. Uh, I always try to pick guys like that's brain who's been around a while. But Mike was always fine with me. Um, we had a dust up one time, and it was just yelling, yelling, yelling. And then, like wrestling, time heals wounds, and I'm in taking bumps for him again. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Burt Prentice, and and you know, interesting about that area, where there's a lot of promoters who are openly gay. Not that there's, you know, I, I'm completely cool with that, and I don't. I don't, I don't want anyone to judge that, but like, I know he had some wild stories, uh, in that territory. Is there anything that you uh, want to talk about on that one or ne- never with me, never That's with great. me, not as, not as tight, uh, hanging out at a Mexican restaurant one night, he flat out told, he flat out told me, he goes, you never would have to worry about me being attracted to you. And I go, sweet. <laughs> cool, Bert. That's well, like Bert. the. Bert's another one. Like, all, was always good to me. We did have a dust up for many years, and we actually cleared the air about a year ago. It was sometime during lockdown because I remember just being in my fields one night and hitting up Bert and apologizing for the dust up we had, and it was prophetic because then he died like six months later. That's. I, I mean, at least you got that 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 uh, opportunity to you know shut the door on that though. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, and we'd all heard the stories, but like, unless I see it, I'm not going to say it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. For sure. Uh, but like, uh, you're, you kind of were just everywhere in middle Tennessee. And that's what I find fascinating. I'm not, I, I'll be honest. I've been to Nashville twice, mm-hmm. uh, or I guess technically three times. I'm not super familiar with, with the state of Tennessee. I drove from, uh, what was it? From Nashville to Oak Ridge once, and I'll never want to take that drive again. <laughs> Um, I remember just coming up over to the hillside and there was this just huge Confederate flag. And I was like, you yeah, wow. All right. All right. We're no longer in Nashville. Um, <laughs> tell me about, uh, tell me about like, let's, let's start with, with how you got into wrestling. Cause obviously 
every pro wrestler today started off as a fan. It wasn't just something that fell into your lap. You probably grew up watching pro wrestling. Uh, is that true? Did you grow up watching pro wrestling? Yeah, yeah. The, my earliest memory of pro wrestling is watching it and having toys of it when I was, you know, like five years old. Um, the first time I ever said I would like to learn how to do this was being 10 years old. And I discovered, oh, my good, good gracious. I just saw what popped up on the screen. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, to be 10 years old, and I was watching USWA and Lawler was coming back, you know, for a Monday night in Memphis. So they recycled one of the old USWA music videos from back in the day. And it's just filled with Lawler throw fire, throwing fireballs. Um, so 10-year-old me goes, I want to learn how to throw fireballs. I have to be a wrestler to do that. They obviously teach that in wrestling school. <laughs> what a one. <laughs> yeah, first day, right? It's hit Second. tosses and fireballs. <laughs> do you have to prime your hand? Like, do you, you know, you have to take the ropes a certain way. Like, do you have to strike it on your hand the right way? Ah, certain secrets won't tell. <laughs> that's behind the scenes you got to pay extra for that one yeah hey fire fire is one thing that like i'm one of the few who still do from time to time so i don't want to tell anybody about it so i can keep it <laughs> so when alex taylor says i grew up watching jp you you did that to me too when we were in in, in nashville and you said i've been watching your podcast since i was in high school you instantly aged me by 40 years <laughs> and then it Thinking back, it may have been a bit of, of a stretch. It may have been like my senior year of high school or early on in wrestling. But I do remember because I while being a child of the Internet, I, I've never been like obsessed with the Internet. So I didn't know about a message board. And then I saw message boards. And then when I started working for NWAs, I know for sure I would Google stuff to get more information. And that's right. where I like the Alliance blog. I I only knew you as funny as a, as a poster that I would see on there. I didn't realize like this was your deal. Until probably until like the saw days. That's cool. And I think it like, first of all, thank you. Uh, You know, I, I, it's not like I'm reaching out for validation, but it's cool to know that uh, somebody who got into the business was checking out my stuff early on. And and that, that makes me feel pretty good. Um, You know, the whole point of all of it was um, I started blogging about the NWA because nobody else was talking about it. Like in, well, there's a promotion in Atlanta or Georgia. There's a promotion in Tennessee. There's actually three of them. There's a promotion in California. There's stuff going on in Texas. There's stuff going on in Portland. There's so much stuff going on and nobody's talking about it. And I was like, well, how can we, how could we funnel this into one spot? And at first I had a few people helping me and then it just, it was just me literally. All right. Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, where can I find any information? Uh, you know, I, I used to go to a, a, a page I think you might be familiar with, the Mid-Southern Wrestling Message Board, and I would talk, I would read all the Trent's posts and try to see what I could gather from what's going on in Tennessee to, to put something together up on the website. Uh, did you ever check out that Mid-Southern Wrestling, uh, Mid-Southern Wrestling Message Board? Oh, yeah. So Trent Van Dries, the scourge of Nashville. No, <laughs> man, so it, it's so funny. Because I feel like I came in at a time when the business was starting to change. Like you still had the old territory guys who were still going and giving it one last go. You know what I mean? But then you had this new crop of talent coming in. And you had mentioned something about like, as all wrestlers nowadays, you grew up a fan. I do think that's one thing about like my generation and probably a little bit before my generation too is like, 
everyone back in the day was like, you know, they used to be a football player and then they hurt their knees and then became a pro wrestler. You know, they're, they're a bodybuilder, got discovered in a gym, something. They're, I don't want to say there are very few fans, but it wasn't everybody was a fan. Right. Whereas now everybody getting in for the most part, you know, there's still people in, you get popped up in the NXT, but usually they're even fans too. They just never thought about doing it. Right. Um, so I, I do think, so I think I was on this like middle generation where I learned, like I, I wrestled Gypsy Joe for God's sake. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I had these old school encounters. I, I rode the Rose of Tracy a little bit. So like I got to meet and wrestle idols that I studied and then I'd share a car with them. It's crazy. Um, but those guys did not like message boards. No. So early on, I'd read the message boards, but you never talked about it, and you always hated them. But then you realize it was legitimately it was used for advertisement, one. And two, after I, and I only had a couple conversations with Trent, but like he had points. You know, I mean, he had points in, in his opinions. And I think once I opened up my mind to that, I had a totally different outlook on it. Yeah. But I, I remember the guys complaining about, you know, the smart mark message boards and all that stuff. It, it, it's it's kind of funny because um, so, you know, that's what you guys had out there in, in, in Middle Tennessee and Southern California. We had SoCal Uncensored. And I mean, you know, people would, won't admit to it, but I mean, Samoa Joe was posting on there. Adam Pierce was posting on there. And, uh, you know, even Joey Ryan was posting on there. Um, and I know we don't talk about Joey Ryan, but the way that those guys marketed themselves early on, you know, in those early days and were able to gather, you know, gain that following, whether it be Pierce or Joe or the other Joe, they just kind of galvanized their own fan base right there on a message board. And I think that speaks to the volume of how the Internet uh, can be used for good. And, you know, things have changed. Back then, there wasn't a Facebook or a MySpace or, or uh, you know, Twitter or Instagram. So to keep up with wrestling, that's what you had to do um, because it, it's not covered on the mainstream. It never, it never has been. Well, I mean, it hasn't been in many, many years. So in order to keep up with wrestling, those message boards were kind of like what kept things alive for a lot of us for a long time. So I think it's cool that, uh, that you guys had one out there and it's the same thing. Like older guys didn't want anything to do with it, but the, the, the younger crowd kind of understood like, Hey, this is an opportunity to get myself over. Yeah, and I don't even think I, I don't think the Mid South message board was ever utilized to the potential that you're just talking about of uh, SoCal and Censor being used because I don't think anybody ever like we'd advertise a show on it, you know what yeah. I mean? But that's about as much as it went, and then it'd be conversations about things, but nobody was posting like, "Hey, here's my match. Here's my match to develop a fan base on there." Yeah, that I can remember anyway, and that it, you know that's brilliant forethought to. The thing to do that though, because you are essentially building your own fan base right there. I, I whenever I'm talking to wrestling, I, I look at each and every one of you uh, wrestlers, not just as a performer, not just as a wrestler, but as a business. You're you're your own entity, and yes, you're working for the NWA right now. But prior to that, I mean, it you were you were your own thing, and if you wanted to work everywhere in Tennessee, you could, and if you didn't, you didn't have to, and if the you you know. You're selling T-shirts, you're selling 8 by 10s you're selling this brand that you have, and you have to build it up somehow, some way. If it's not on a national television or at least a regional program, how else are people going to find you? Now, that's what's great about social media today is everybody is a brand, and everybody can advertise in any way they want to. But, you know, just even 10 years ago, 
it was harder to get uh, to, to get that exposure that it's so easily available today. Yeah, uh, the 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 tools are out there. You just got to use them and learn how to work with them. I'm yeah. the worst at social media. I, <laughs> I, I I hate it. It can be really, really, really exhausting. So you'll see a lot of my stuff will be retweeting or posts about about business. Um, I, I've made a uh, I've made a promise to myself that I that I really won't like read comments and stuff like that because it's just hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like because people say good things and then one person will be like, "Yeah, he's fat." <laughs> and, you know, and I'll just think about that the whole time. Ah, oh, he's fat, and then I'll get depressed and order a pizza and get fatter. So, <laughs> well, and, and and the thing about it, you're right, because I mean, uh, it it's a very toxic environment, um, and it's hard. That's like you know, and I salute the guys over at this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast, Gary, Doc, and Will, because they've been helping to cultivate a very positive environment for the NWA fans. Uh, we've been doing that over here too, but I mean, look, we don't always have the nicest things to say on this podcast either. We try to keep it real and it's not to hurt anybody's feelings, but sometimes that that's what's happens. It's all more about like, Hey, this could be better. Or we think this could be better. And that's what we would like to see. Cause we, this is a brand. We, whoever's watching this podcast right now is a fan of the NWA period. Um, you don't find this podcast. If you don't give a shit about the national wrestling Alliance, it's just, you don't. So, uh, there is a lot of toxicity on the internet. There's especially when it comes to, you know, body image and everything else. But, uh, you know, we try to keep a very pro NWA mindset, but also having, you know, we have our, our, our ticks and quips and all that stuff too. But um, there's been a few questions in the chat and I want to throw some of these questions up here for you so that you can answer. And then we'll get back to just talking about wrestling. Yeah. Um, Bobby Petito says, what's your favorite match at the NWA that you've had? And I think he means of all NWA, not just uh, what's been going on recently. But uh, what what's your favorite match? Okay, so it, I'll go ahead and break it up. Break it up into the two. If we're talking pre Lightning one, uh, obviously it would have to be. I mean, I've got the the poster hanging up. Uh, it's one it's one of the few posters I have hanging up. It, it's being Satoshi Kojima for the ten pounds of gold. Um, I, I'm proud of that for multiple reasons, not just. The fact that it was a match for the 10 pounds gold, um, but also huge Japanese wrestling fans. So, you know, Satoshi Kojima, that was a dream for me. Uh, and then the fact that someone in the previous regime did not want me to have that match said, uh, I don't want to say said because I didn't see the messages. I got a second hand, but alluded to the fact that uh, it would not draw. Um, and that is the reason from my understanding that why I, on the DVD, if you see it, Kojima wrestled two matches that night and mine was not up top. The one up top was never advertised. I did all the press work for that. And we sold, sold that some bitch out. Might, might as yeah. well sell the Ricky Morton. Phrase. Um, so I was, I was really proud of that for that reason. And then because of it, uh, Kojima having to do double duty, we could only go like 15. So <laughs> that was a little heartbreaking too. But yeah. I got the experience. It was cool. I knew that our match sold that house because I was the only picture on that flyer. Um, yeah, so I was really, really proud of that. And to just have Kojima, you know, I introduced myself and he go, oh, yes, I watch you on plane. And I'm like, Dad. you watched my stuff? Sweet. 
<laughs> that I mean, uh, that's got to be humbling, right? Yeah, mind blowing was more like it. Like you know, I I a hundred percent expected to to go in there and be like, all right, you will do this, this, and this. Don't waver from. He's like, no, no, I've watched, I've got ideas, and I'm like, hey, <laughs> all right, man. See, that was he was cool. That's when you kind of wish you had an entourage just filming everything that you did that day. <laughs> Is that I'm sure that would have been almost as entertaining as the match because you got, you know, Kojima and I've, I I got to meet him one time and we didn't, you know, we didn't, we're not best friends by any stretch, but, you know, having watched that guy's career as someone who came over to the States early in his career, worked with MLW, uh, did a lot of those shows with Steve Carino and, and, and those guys uh, won the title, then, then went back to Japan, became a triple crown champion, winning, then also winning the IWGP heavyweight championship and I know it's a little bit further removed from his prime, but then when he's NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, in a time where the NWA didn't have a ton of star power, that guy was a superstar. And yeah. it wasn't just in Japan. He did come to the States and wrestle. And I thought, number one, that was cool as everything. Um, because Kojima is a guy who certainly had value even in New Japan then. Um, so for him to come to the States and, and wrestle in Tennessee and wrestle in Texas and those matches that he had were very special and you got to be one of those guys. And, and, and that's not to discredit you because I mean, if you start, if we pull up your resume and a lot of people don't realize it, you were one of the, one of the better, bigger guys in that area. You, absolutely. You should have been in that match, but the fact that you got to wrestle a superstar, a guy who's a, a new Japan star, that's awesome. And I was always so excited for you for that. And, uh, you know, as somebody who's been kind of cheering you on remotely over here in Southern California, I was like, hell yeah, that's the kind of stuff I want to see. And you're right. When that match aired, like I saw it on YouTube and it, that, that crowd was hot for you guys. Yeah, yeah it was, it was nuts. Um, and having Tracy there was yeah. big. And to knowing that someone else was, was figured in for that role. Somebody that I like, that I know, but like don't have the relationship I had with Tracy in uh, for, and the person wanted a certain price, and they didn't want to come off of it. And Tracy had heard about it, and Tracy came down for way too little uh, to do that, uh, to do those training montages. He showed up early, you know. We we shot montages. He beat the crap out of me for real in those montages because <laughs> um, he's Tracy and he had one speed. Um, so to have him there was was everything and to the to the point this will tell you i love telling tracy some other stories uh so we're doing the meet and greet prior to this and i've got my eight by tens out you know trying to make a little money beforehand um and tracy sets up next to me and he goes uh he goes hey, hey. whatever what was it he said uh if you buy anything his he had four by six pictures of like him and steve austin and you know him and the people he's met through the travels if you buy anything from me you get one of these pictures tracy will sign and I'm like, Tracy, you ain't got to do that, but I'll, I'll split the money with you. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm here to help you. The man. The whole time I'm, I'm warming up before the match, he's coming up and giving me an orange. Because he is notorious. You got to drink water. Now you got to have an orange for vitamin C. Take this multivitamin. <laughs> do some shadow. Like he had this regimen, right? And he was running me through the regimen. So like he was making sure I was legit, like just ready. So he, he wasn't just there. I mean, he was there. Yeah. That's, that's always been Tracy. No matter, like, it could be the worst show ever. You tell him his role, he's there. That's awesome, man. I, I had no idea. That's that's a great story. Yeah, Tracy was, oh, God, Tracy was a man. So, uh, 
so that's a i mean that's a great answer and i, I wanted to delve into that uh too um because again that when you said that somebody in the office didn't want that match to happen, I felt like the office did so much back then. Um, you know, the whole cut your nose to just to spite your face phrase. I feel like it just, they did so many things that I, I didn't make sense to me as a fan. And and part of the reason why I was happy to see ownership change hands because a, a guy like you who had that match with Kojima should have been celebrated. And uh, you know, I, I like Damian Wayne a lot. Um, and he, they certainly, he certainly deserved a shot too, but it didn't need to be on the same night. Could have been somewhere else. Could have been something else. Yeah. And I mean, and it wasn't like, I, I was literally just happened to be riding away right then. Like we just happened to be doing a storyline and it really got over. And that's the time the match was coming in. And at the time I was, you know, the TV champion or whatever. And the guy who was in line for it and the people wanted it. So that's the only reason it was. And I realized that, but I do really, I'm really happy that, Mark Houch and Tim Thomas had fought for me. You know what I mean? Because they did not want it to be me. I say they. It's specific, from what I'm told, it's specifically one of them. Um, won't out them because, again, I haven't seen the messages. This is all from other people. But one of them I'm friends with on, on social media today. So <laughs> that, that, that might tell you something. But I won't, I won't spill any beans. But I know uh, one thing I do know is that they changed the outcome of the 10 pounds of gold match in uh, Glassboro, New Jersey, because they thought that uh, too many fans on my message board knew who would become champion next and thought, well, we can't do that. So they changed it to swerve the fan base. And I thought that was such a missed opportunity and and for the dumbest reasons possible, because, you know, in, in full, full transparency, because 20 people on a message board thought that they knew what was going to happen. That's why you swerved the audience. And the guy that got swerved really did deserve that title. Like I, I'll go to bat for Damian Wayne. He should have been champion that night. And I, that's again one of the craziest decisions I ever heard. The NWA pulling him uh, out of that, winning that title. Yeah, yeah. No, it, there was it, there was some weirdness going up leading up to it. To the point to the point where in my head I'm like, it's probably not going to happen. I'll get there, and then last second it'll get pulled. I was prepared for it the entire time. How, like, Jesus, that would have totally taken the sail out of my, uh, you know, taking the win out of my sail uh, if, if I had been in that position. I mean, what do you do if they do that? Like, you just walk out of the arena? Or, I mean. Um, <laughs> what I probably would have done, because I because I read the, the old territory books, right? Like, I, yeah. I read Brody's biography and stuff like that. I would have left, but I would have waited till the entire crowd was there. And I would have walked out and walked around the ring and then left. So everybody saw me leave. So they knew that you didn't know show. Yeah. Young wrestling fans don't listen. Or young wrestlers don't listen to me. <laughs> but at the or, time, or, probably what I would have done. Or listen so that they could uh, get the edge, right? <laughs> Maybe. Um, another another question that popped up, and we'll get to your next answer too here in a minute. But the next oh, yeah. question is, who's your biggest influence for your in-ring work? Uh, there's, there's a few. Um I watch a lot of Jerry Lawler. Uh, obviously, that's like, you know, this is the guy I saw throwing fire. So I'm like, I need to watch this guy. <laughs> um, Jerry Lawler. Uh, and then, so we didn't have cable for a long time growing up. So I'd see the syndicated shows. Uh, so I'd see WCW. What I forgot what their Saturday morning show was in the mid-90s. Gosh, worldwide, maybe. Worldwide. 
Yeah. Okay. So and on, on worldwide, I would see that's where I see Arn Anderson because they had him on worldwide for some reason. But I loved Arn Anderson. I loved Bobby Eaton. And here's the thing: didn't know about their past. I'm 10 years old. I'm not a tape trader, right. so I don't I don't realize they're two of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time. They're both two of the greatest TV champions of all time. I don't realize that. I just realized, hey, these guys who aren't winning a lot, let me throw out there. Arn maybe a little bit. No, he's, I think he's still losing a lot. But, like, Bobby was really just going out there and putting guys over. Right. But I'm like, these guys who aren't winning a lot. But I can tell somehow in my 10-year-old mind there's something that sticks out to me. I can't. I was going to say I could tell they're a better wrestler, but I couldn't. But, like, I could tell that there was something different about them. Right? Uh, so those two. And then as I became uh, more knowledgeable and started watching a lot of tape, then that's, like, where Terry Funk came in. I love Terry Funk. Uh, and then as a, as a dark horse thrown in here, I, I watch a lot of All Japan, like, early 90s All Japan. So Jumbo Saruta is, oh, if, if I can make it to be a beat-up old man, Jumbo's <laughs> 90s run is what I want to be. I just want beat up old guy beating up young guys and trying to keep my spot. When, <laughs> when you said when you said Terry Funk, I had two visions pop into my head. I had the Terry Funk who was holding the ten pounds of gold, had the three stars on the trunks, and then I pictured Terry Funk beating the crap out of Ric Flair because Flair wouldn't give him that world title shot. Which Terry Funk were you talking about? Which one is it? The is it the ten pounds of gold the champion or was it? Uh, Bitter, angry Terry Funk. Which well, one first, were you? Uh... First Terry Funk I ever saw was Chainsaw Charlie. Oh yeah, I forget that you're a little but, bit younger than me. But that's not my Terry Funk. But that's you're the first right. Terry Funk I ever saw. Um, my favorite Terry Funk is probably around beat up Ric Flair. Is my favorite Terry Funk. Um, Ten pounds of gold Terry Funk. It depended on what territory he's working and who he's working with, because he could be just as technical as Dory. Or he could go down to Florida and work with the Dream and be absolutely insane. Or go to Memphis and work with Lawler and be absolutely insane. He had he had such great range, like he could do whatever. Well, and then and then all that, and then come to California and work like uh, you know uh, Mil Mascaras and do like a lucha slash scientific wrestling match. It would yeah. blow everyone's mind. Yeah, but then he there would always be a point, even when he get really technical where he'd get a little crazy toward the end. Like, if it looked like he was about to lose his title, even as a baby face, he'd go a little mad. And he was the best. Yeah, I, now you make me want to go do a deep dive on Terry Funk, man. I, I used to get, I had a buddy who would get torrents and, like, just torrent these giant collections and burn them for me. So I've got a Terry Funk thing that has, like, 40 matches on it. And I've got an Arn Anderson one, the same thing. So th those are probably my two watch, most watched DVDs. Uh, I mean, then look, those are two guys that uh, certainly have uh, left their mark in the business. Um, let's let's move now to more modern NWA, uh, because the question was, what's your favorite match in the NWA? Um, you know, you you're in a different role now with with the National Wrestling Alliance with the ill begotten. You kicked out my pal Yuma, which uh, don't don't get me wrong, man. I, I get why it just kind of makes me sad. <laughs> but I know that uh, it, it wasn't just me. It was a group decision. <laughs> you know, that decision didn't get made till you started showing up, though. Well, I mean, if you watch when I first came in, things were fine. But we had a couple Zoom meetings and there this had been planned before I came in. Uh, so. So what match 
are you proudest of currently in 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 your run with the Lightning One Era? Um, yeah, and I, so I was thinking about that, and I'm thinking probably it would be a little pre ill begotten, but it was wrestling uh, strictly business with a uh, with Sean Devari. I got to touch with got you know the top guys who were the top of the card. I mean, when you came in, and and I was one of the guys like I knew who you were. So when you showed up, I was like, "Oh, this is great! This is great!" You know, you're gonna work some of these guys. You're gonna help some of these guys get better in the ring. Um, you know, I don't want to use the word enhancement, but you know, you're gonna be there. And, and we use this term on this show all the time: still sharp and still. So when you're in the ring with some of these guys who are newer, like a Rush Freeman or an Alex Taylor or or a Jordan Clearwater or slice boogie, or, you know, you're going to help get these guys to where they need to be. And so it was fun watching you come in and, you know, you'd have, you had that match with Luke Hawks and that number one contendership. I think that was one of my favorite matches because I I really felt like you went all out in that match to try to get that spot. And it was a a very good match. Uh, And Luke is great too, but I mean, seeing you in that opportunity, you know, you were used the right way. You were used as, as a guy who's trying to get it, trying to get to that, get to that championship uh, title belt. And I really enjoyed that match. Uh, hats off to you for that one. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, Luke, yeah, Luke is awesome. Luke, Luke is, I mean, he muscled my big butt up for that power slam off the top. Good God. So about your role in the NWA today, I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're again, part of the ill begotten. You're kind of like the, the coach. You're like the player coach. Cause you kind of help the guys, uh, but also like I've seen you, you know, hang out ringside, like a manager. Uh, how would you define your role in the NWA as it is currently? Man, I, I, I like to call myself like, a, I'm a, I call myself a journeyman legitimately, but I, I'll do whatever's asked of me, whatever I need to do. You know I mean? You want to put me on the outside in a managerial role, I'll do it, but I'm just as good in there throwing shots and taking flatbacks, you know, and I'm, Listen, if I'm going to give this a run, a run, I'm going to give it all I got. Whatever they put me in. Did you? Uh, I mean, you were you've been in the ring with all the like the big names of this this era of the NWA. Uh, is there one name that sticks out more than the others? I mean, like you know, standing across the ring from Trevor Murdoch again, somebody you, you probably watched on TV early in your career. You know, standing in the ring with uh, Jack Stane, who, you know, I mean. He's he's done it all in the NWA. Is there any anybody that stands out more than anyone else? Um, you, you hit it on the head right at the beginning, Trevor. And there's a little bit more than that. Yes, I did watch him. I was a giant fan of him and Lance Cade. A massive fan of him and Lance Cade. Um, I, I guess this would be after he was back on the independence and I was just getting started. I sent him a, a message, Facebook message. Uh, about like, you know, just working as a bigger guy, you know what I mean? And, and how to, when you don't have the, God, how do you say this? Uh, when you don't have the, you know, the bodybuilder physique, how do you still show your wares? How do you still, you know? And so I sent it to him, not expecting anything back. And I'll be honest, I didn't get anything back. Um, first tapings for NWA come up and introduce myself. And he goes, I know who you are. You sent me an email uh, years ago. And he goes, and I just didn't know how to answer you. <laughs> he goes, I, he goes, I can answer you now. Never blow up. And I'm like, all right, sweet. <laughs> that's, that's, that's incredible, man. Yeah. 
it is weird moments like that. And so that's why that one sticks out, you know, and then I finally get to wrestle him and it was amazing. Everything you anticipated. He's all man. That's exactly what I thought he would be. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's a a student of Harley race. I don't imagine he'd be anything less than that. You know, I, Imagine if he wants to. <clears throat> I know pro wrestling is a scripted sport. I'm not. I'm not ignorant. I'm not trying to say anything. But uh, I think that's one of the few guys that's actually out there that if he really had a problem with you, you'd know it right away. To to, to paraphrase a Harley line, uh, if he hits you with his right and you don't go down, he's going to walk around you and see what's holding you up. <laughs> he, he's he's a heavy hitter, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I think, you know, I'm looking at the clock and I don't want to go too long. Um, but we got to talk about your run in Australia. We got to talk about the NWA Australian championship. I mean, again, um, you were, uh, a part of an NWA, you were there when the ownership changed from pro wrestling organization to international wrestling, uh, corporation, whatever it was. Uh, basically, the transition from uh, the old regime to uh, to Bruce Tharp and his partners. And that was a very weird time for the NWA. A lot of promotions were gone, just left. Some of them were kicked out. Some of them were left out. Um, and then, uh, you know, in Australia specifically, uh, a new promotion came to fruition. And a lot of people had problem with uh, this promotion early on, the um, AIW, but eventually they they came to be known as you know the NWA in Australia, and you somehow managed to be their heavyweight champion out here in in in, in the United States in in Tennessee. Tell us how you become the Australian heavyweight champion. <laughs> I I will say this. Uh, I, I said don't listen to me earlier, young wrestlers. Do it on this one. Uh, always be nice to people. Uh, one year, uh, this was so. This is when me, when me and Drew Haskins were doing our Untouchables run, doing our tag run. Um, and in other countries, you get you know longer holidays mandated by the government or whatever. So the the Aussie boys would, when they took their vacation, they'd come over to the states and wrestle. So there's not as many opportunities over there. So they come to the states and wrestle a whole bunch. So they came through saw, and I remember Shark Carter. Um, he had hit me up. And not knowing I'm from Adam, but saying, hey, who do I need to contact for Saw? Okay, cool. Got him in touch. So we and we ended up wrestling two, two of them that night. And then I think LT Falk wrestled Chris Target. And they were just going to, like, go home, you know, like go back to the hotel and maybe do some stuff in the morning. Drew Haskins and I used to enjoy the nightlife a bit. <laughs> uh, and we actually were not planning to that night. But we're like, let's show these boys a good time. So we took them downtown Nashville, you know, ca- carried them back to their car. <laughs> well, that, not their car. Let me say to, to a ride. <laughs> but no, we showed them a good time. Um, and then to the point where early the next year, Shark had sent Drew and I a message about, hey, would you guys like to come to Australia sometime? Oh, absolutely we would. And we knew by this point that, any marketing to be done or any like defending of NWA titles outside of saw would have to be done by us. And we always wanted to grow things. Like we took the Southern tag team titles and went other places and, you know, defended them and would do some pokey NWA finish, 
You know what I mean? And leave their guys yeah. standing strong. All the old we had, I had a rule book printed up with a logo on it. Like did the whole carny thing. Um, <laughs> but so I'm like, no, man, that that's awesome. That'll be great for me and Drew because we were really trying to do this tag thing. thing. Um, and then Drew's wife got pregnant and he left the business. And I went into like singles run. Um, so then it ended up being, well, do you still want to go? Well, sure. They come over that summer. Uh, and then we just hooked up some bookings and I ended up dropping the, uh, they ended up dropping the heavyweight title to me, which I didn't take that in the TV title, do the same thing, carny business everywhere. Uh, and then, cause they wanted, they wanted to try to elevate their Australian title too. I don't know if I did anything about that, but <laughs> I, I mean, look, it, it's significant when any title travels, right? I mean, uh, obviously the 10 pounds of gold, it's built on traveling. It's built on being seen everywhere. But when you have like a like for here in Southern California, the Heritage Championship, or I mean, this replica that sits behind me here, this British Commonwealth Championship, that was a title that was held by Drew Onyx and Finn Balor and Carl the Machine Gun Anderson, and all of it happened in Southern California. All these title changes, and uh, you know, and they they argued, oh, the British Commonwealth is, uh, it, you know. It, California was part of the British Commonwealth because it was part of the United States. It all counts. But they, I mean, it was cool. And I felt like that helped elevate the title. And the fact that, you know, on Australian titles coming to the United States, that certainly has credibility to it. I mean, at the very least, the belt traveled. It means something. It traveled. Someone in or someone in, in Tennessee wanted an opportunity to wrestle for that title, and you did it. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, you know, didn't went back and did, did some business and got to go to Australia on somebody else's dime after that. So, I mean, I can't, you can't beat that. Australia is awesome. Yeah. I told my parents when I came back, if I didn't have family here, I'd be gone. Australia is amazing. <laughs> and, well, and it's like, a, what, an 18-hour flight? Uh, it, so, it's, it's probably 18 if you're flying direct. If you're trying to save your buddies some money and you take all the layovers in the world, it comes out to about 33 where, so where did you stop at? Uh, Nashville to LaGuardia. Uh, then took a transportation over to Kennedy. Kennedy to Hong Kong. Hong Kong to Perth. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sleeping on airport floors, man. So did you actually leave the airport when you were in Hong Kong? No. No, it was a six-hour layover. I wasn't going to even try to miss that and be stuck. Oh, God. I, you know, we, we when I went to, to China with uh, Nick to defend the 10 pounds, well, I mean, I didn't defend it, but I was there. When he went to China, uh, look, we stopped in Shanghai, and our, we had an hour layover before they flew us to Wenchow. And it was so crazy, and being in such a, you know, it's foreign land, foreign language. I mean, even the signs were different. It just, yeah, I, I don't blame you for not even stepping outside of the airport, let alone. Uh, the Hong Kong airport was pretty Americanized though. I will say that like there, there, there would be an English sign somewhere. The Shanghai, not so much, at least not in my experience. And, uh, you know, we, I had my, my, my phone and it had Google translate on it, except for I didn't have service in Hong Kong. So I was like, is there a Wi-Fi somewhere? Can I, <laughs> no. That, that is where, this is how much of a redneck I am. This is how I, uh, where I first realized that ramen wasn't just what, you know, Poor people in the water. <laughs> like I, I bought ramen, and I'm like, "This is delicious. <laughs> this is amazing." No There's something like, besides noodles. 
Well, you see, that's what you when you're doing it at home, you just gotta crack an egg in there, and it 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 classes it up so much. Crack, crack an egg, a little some mixed vegetables, you're good. Yeah, it's it's like you're eating a real thing. So let's talk about let's go back in time then, because we did talk about the t the uh, the the Australian Championship, and I mean that's still just an awesome story being able to. Well, wait, let's go back to Australia. What did you do while you were there? Because I know you didn't just wrestle. Did you get to pet a kangaroo? Did you ride a wallaby? I mean, I, I did not ride a wallaby. Did uh, a dingo no, eat your baby? <laughs> uh, we went we, did, we went to a zoo. It's not like the kangaroos are out running. Um, I also, God, I'll probably get hate for this, also ate kangaroo meat. They sell it in the grocery stores. I yeah. didn't like go. <laughs> but uh, let's see. It tried Vegemite. Um, no, so learned all the rules for Australian football, which I promptly forgot a lot of, um, but become a big fan. Uh, actually, so I'm in my, I call this the multi-room because it's my wife's crafting room plus my office plus workout room plus storage. But like over my computer, I've got uh, the Richmond Tigers, which is the the uh, the people who housed me, uh, the Davis family. It, it's their, uh, they're, they belong. So they're like the Packers, you know, how you can buy shares. Yeah. 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 They're like that, except like you're actually a member of the shareholders. Like it actually means something. unlike the Packers, which I'm a massive Packers fan, but it means nothing. Um, <laughs> but so they gave me one of their, they get scarves every year that they pay their dues. So I've got one of the scarves hanging up. Um, so I'm a unofficial Richmond Tigers fan because their captain had a giant mullet. And I thought that was the coolest <laughs> party in the um, front. Uh, uh, played some Aussie back. rules ball um like not you know just kicked it around toss it around uh played some cricket and it took them about an hour to tell me no you don't hit the ball as hard as humanly possible <laughs> you're supposed to like punt i'm just here trying to crack home runs with the cricket bat <laughs> uh went to some nightclubs and stuff like that like they just kind of showed me around town they it was amazing it was awesome and you were in you were in perth perth yeah perth western australia yeah, that's uh, that's where uh, the TMDK, um, Mikey yeah. Nichols, Shane Haste, that's where those guys came from. If, yeah. if I'm ever afforded the opportunity, I certainly would like to visit Perth. But there's so much like you know, there's Sydney and there's so much else in Australia too. That, uh, but but Perth, I, I from what I've seen and what I hear, it's beautiful. Yeah, no, it really wasn't. It doesn't seem. No, I've never been to Sydney, but Sydney seems like such a bigger city. Yeah. And that being said, I don't know if they took me to the heart of Perth. I, I let them do the driving. They did. I'll try to find this video, and if so, I'll link it in the comments. They made a video just to like be be fun. It was called uh, "Jeremiah Plunkett Does Australia," and of course, <laughs> it's to the tune of "Land Down Under." And it's them picking me up from the airport, and then they like make a slideshow. When they picked me up, <laughs> Chris shows up like just as stereotypical as possible. He had like Daisy Duke cut off shorts, <laughs> uh, a, a tank top with a, with like a short sleeve over shirt open. Uh, not really a cowboy hat, but like the, uh, like a Paul Hogan hat from Crocodile right. Dundee flip flops. And he's got on leashes, like a stuffed koala and a, and a stuffed kangaroo. And he's just dragging these through the Perth airport. <laughs> to that, me. I, I want to meet that dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a blast. He's you still keeping you still keep in touch with those guys. Yeah, um, the way the way it works because of the time change, I'll usually get a message in the middle of the night and I'll respond the next morning as they're going to bed. <laughs> right. It's it's the as you go to bed message. Yeah. Have you ever talked about uh, potentially you know going out there again? Maybe <clears throat> this time you flying yourself out there, but taking your wife and, and then maybe getting in the ring while you're there. Um, I, I know the wife. 
100% wants to go. Um, so that could be a uh, that could be a possibility for sure. Uh, we, we've talked about possibly doing business again because they have opened back up. Shark has opened back up. Um, I get care. Gosh, I hate it. I can't remember. I think it's called Southern Territory Wrestling. Okay. Um, yes, it is Southern Territory Wrestling. Uh, but so he's opening back up and we've talked about it a little bit, but she wants to go so bad that I'm wondering if that might be the deal we have to work out to, so I, I mean, can stay safe at home. <laughs> I mean, happy wife, happy life, right? Right. And if you can get booked out of it, I mean, uh, not that I'm trying to tell you what to do here. <laughs> uh, our pal NWA gold said, thanks for the, uh, pictures of the ugly mid-american titles that was so much fun oh <laughs> uh, yeah the old nwa main event titles they were not the best no they weren't um and, and again we 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 only touched on these things briefly but i mean you really did wrestle for many of the promotions that represented the nwa in the mid-south um you know nwa new south uh uh of course the sawmill um where you were you were uh the nwa southern uh television champion uh you were the uh nwa new south united states champion um you you held many of these titles of the nwa uh variety in in middle tennessee in the in mid-south area i mean how what's the word i'm looking for <laughs> the question i guess i'm trying to ask is you know you've been wrestling for a long time but those championship belts definitely mean something what do those title victories mean to you um all of them mean something except for maybe that new south us heavyweight championship <laughs> uh they had opened a, a a new town and they wanted a belt for that town and it was literally a replica belt that said nwa nowhere on it and like it was that generic usa belt that they were selling online for a while yeah, it was that. So, like, the fact that that even has NWA on it is laughable. <laughs> I didn't know it did. <laughs> I know yeah. I never called it that in any promo ever. Um, that's hilarious. Uh, but I, I don't know, man. All of them did like the the Southern Tag Team titles because like Drew and I had a really good run out of it, and you know, at one point, I think we were one of the better tag teams in the area. The TV title run is what you know got ended up getting me my match with Kojima. Um, the Southern title run was kind of on the back end of that. Uh, it was after my shoulder surgery. So while I, I really en I enjoy that, I was not at my best physically after that. I gained a whole, whole, whole bunch of weight post-soldier shoulder surgery, and I was getting through. But I go back and watch those matches and kind of shake my head. But I was also very busy at that time, too, so I kind of weigh it out. I don't, I don't know. But the TV title and the tag title runs, definitely. And, and I will say this, and I mean this as 100% complimentary, so please don't take it any other way. But, my God, dude, you look better now than you did when you were wrestling for those titles. Like you look in great shape. Uh, you Your face even looks younger now than it did when you were wrestling just a few years ago. I mean, hats off to you for whatever regiment that you're doing. You look great, man. And uh, it, it makes me feel like you've still got a lot more gas in the tank. I, I'm doing it to prolong the gas in the tank, man. Uh, I really am. Once I got married, it became more than just about me. So I started getting in shape for health because I, I honestly thought I was done wrestling. Like I came back from a neck injury, had two matches, and COVID shut the world down. So I was like, I'm probably not going back to wrestling. Uh, and but I'm like, I got a wife now. Let's get in shape and lose some weight. 
Um, and I lost, I was up to like 320 at one point and I'm, I'm hovering around. I got the lowest I got was 225 dieted down for the junior heavyweight thing, but I'm hanging out about 250 right now. Cause man, 225. I, I don't know if I'm ready to be there yet. I'm, I'm getting there, but I, I got down there pretty quick. 2016. I decided that I was going to kick my ass and get as healthy as I could. And I got all the way to 202. And I was miserable. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I was in the best shape of my life, but I was completely miserable. And, uh, you know, prior to COVID, I was like at 230, 240, and I felt okay about that. Yeah, COVID wasn't kind to me. And <laughs> I need to, I need to get back to it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, man, 225 on your frame, that's, that seems awfully, awfully light. Like that's, I, uh, I mean, I, I got down there for the opportunity. I, you know, I, I worked hard too, but I think I did it really fast too. So. Well, it's all about, uh, you know, keeping that continuity too. Like uh, you have to have that diet and lifestyle that you could actually keep up for the rest of your life. Cause you know, the scale goes up and down depending on yep. how much, how active you're being. So, um, but like I said, man, you look great and I hope to see you more in the ring. Um, you know, a lot of people might not know this, but, uh, in your career, I, I mean, yes, challenging for the 10 pounds of gold is a pretty amazing thing, but, uh, like you were a guy that didn't just challenge for the world's heavyweight championship. I mean, you were a guy that was challenged for the national title a couple of times, uh, once against Lou Marconi. Um, you, you, you weren't just, uh, I don't want people to get the idea that you were, uh, just a passive guy there. I mean, you kind of, you were very meaningful for your area. And again, going back to Kojima, like that's why you, it made a lot of sense for a fan in Southern California to see you in that title match, but you really were a big part of the NWA uh, in that time frame. And when you look back at those days, you look back at those times, like what, what are some of your best memories and, and what are things that are you glad that are done? Uh, so best memories, obviously Kojima's in there. Um, anytime I got to go in there and just make magic with Sean Schultz, that guy, I wish he was still wrestling. I understand why he's not, but like, God, he was so, so, so good. He was good uh, on the mic and in the ring. He was one of those guys. I, I, I agree with you. I wish he was still wrestling. Yeah. Um, and then like with Haskins, you know, uh, now known as the Carnies, but then team IOU, you know, that was a young up and coming team at the time who like, they were still learning, but they're putting in more effort than anybody. So like we had a series with them, that like we at points legitimately beat the crap out of each other. Uh, the matches with Washington bullets were always crazy, you know, so I really enjoyed those times. Um, and which you said that, uh, you know, I'm glad they're over. I think it was just the state of the business at the time. Like there were, it started closing up shop a little bit at that point, but there were at least five, it's going to sound bad when I say, say places to work, but there's five places to work on Nashville within two days. So you would always have at least two shows running a night for a while. And it, we were just fighting over the same fan base. No one wanted to share. You'd get, you'd get mad at one promoter and go 20 minutes down the street and work <laughs> for another one. Um, and to the point where I, I think that's why there's nothing running regularly in Nashville now. I think they burned out to town. You can still draw in Nashville. I mean, you can still have big shows in Nashville, but not every week. And the weekly town, I don't even know is a thing anymore. But Nashville is running weekly towns or weekly shows two to three days a week, multiple shows a night. It's crazy. 
I mean, when you think about just the history of Nashville, it's always been like that. You know, we we're talking about in the recent years, but 20 years ago, I mean, that's where that's where TNA was doing all their tapings mm-hmm. was the fairgrounds. And even before then, I mean, uh, Gulas was running out there, too. It, it just it's always been a very active area. So yeah. it, it is kind of a bummer that it's not more uh, more represented. But I guess it's also a good thing, too, that. Um, you know, you've got places in Memphis and you've got places, uh, you know, uh, further east, uh, like Smoky Mountain, uh, that are open for, for guys to, to ply their trade. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of sad that Nashville isn't the way it used to be, but maybe it's best that it isn't. I, I think I think it's best for, for the entire business. The, the, the town's got to it's got to cool down. Um, I, I will say I, I don't know how many people, if anyone will run Nashville regularly just because real estate price is so high in the city right now. It's one of the most booming ta- cities in the world. I don't know if anybody they'll, they'll run outside of it, but yeah, we've, we've, we've looked, we, I, when I took my wife to uh, Nashville uh, for the Crockett cup, uh, you know, I let her go down Broadway and uh, I, I had to use a crowbar to get her out of some of those places. <laughs> um, she loves it in, in Nashville. And it's like a, all right, let's look on Redfin. Let's see. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Yeah, you, you want to go about 20 miles outside of Nashville, then you will start seeing some relief. Yeah. So then um, I guess the next question is, of course, you guys will be back in uh, Nashville for some of the tapings, but then you'll be in Knoxville for uh, Always Ready. And, of course, uh, the next night there'll be a, a television taping. Um, you know, they haven't announced a match for you just yet, but I'm sure the ill-begotten will be included. Uh, what are your hopes for uh, Always Ready? My hopes for Always Ready, obviously, is to be a part of Always Ready. I, I want myself and the OB guy and the IB boys to be represented. <laughs> Got to have Danny Deals on your screen, man. Um, <laughs> He's got the gimmicks. Yeah, and, dude, I love Knoxville. I, I love East Tennessee. I haven't wrestled there nearly as much as I have West here until recently. Um, but Knoxville has always been historically a great wrestling town. You know, the, the convention center that we're wrestling in, you know, held Smoky Mountain Wrestling and wrestling before that. So I, I love when we go into these hallowed halls, like with the chase, um, you know, in the fairgrounds to an extent, it's the new building. Oh, God, I wish it would have been in the old building. That was my, that was my, forget the pun, because this is what they called it, but that was my Mecca. You yeah. know what I mean? Before it was the asylum, it's called the Mecca, and it was just... That was my place. That's where I went to saw wrestling, see wrestling. That's when, like, I always set goals for myself early on. Yeah. And it was like, you know, have your first match. Cool. Then the next goal was to wrestle at the fairgrounds. I still remember the first night I wrestled at the fairgrounds to the point where, like, wrestled, show ended, left, didn't even think about getting paid. My manager called me. He's like, why didn't you stay and get paid? He goes, I, I, go, I didn't even think about it. I just wrestled in the fairgrounds. I just left. I just went home. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't blame you. That place is, that place was beautiful. Um, I got to be there for the 70th anniversary show. Yeah. Um, Nick and Cody. Uh, it was just remarkable that the venue looks so, I'm surprised they shut it down. I, you know, I don't know about the back. I don't know how it works. I don't know how bad the, the property was, but it just, it was perfect for pro wrestling. That's for sure. It was built for pro wrestling. Uh, 100%. Uh, they had run in some other buildings on that because their original arena burnt down in a fire, if I'm remembering the story right. And they wouldn't do anything to fix it. So wrestling threatened to move. And to keep wrestling from moving, they signed a contract and promised they'd build a re- building for wrestling to be held in. 
It was a great venue. Yeah. Oh yeah. So and then uh and then of course um you know they they returned to Nashville at the Skyline Studios. So uh, again, a lot of wrestling still in in the Tennessee area. And that's kind of like your uh I mean I don't know. I'm not behind the scenes, but it feels like that might be the new home for the NWA. It seems like uh, maybe Atlanta is a thing of the past. That I don't know, man. I, I get the emails about where we're going. If they made it the new home, being from Middle Tennessee, living in Middle Tennessee, I'd love it. I enjoy waking up in my own bed. But <laughs> but that, that being said, uh, yeah, I don't know any details on that. I do know Skyline was awesome to work with. Yeah. Like, I enjoyed our time at Skyline. Skyline was great. Well, I mean, I, I guess we should probably wrap it up here because I only meant to have you on for an hour, but I feel like we could probably make this a weekly thing and that would be all right. I do appreciate your time today. Is there anything you want to plug before we uh, we end the, the podcast? Uh, guys, just continue, keep continuing to support the NWA, whether it's through our all-access annual pass or uh, on, over on YouTube and come out to Always Ready. I, as far as my stuff, he's, he said he's got it linked down. I appreciate him linking that. I've got some T-shirts on Pro Wrestling Tees. I've also got a storefront tier at storefrontier.com slash Plunky's Gimmick Table. And I do my own podcast. It's not nearly as professional as this one, but it's called the Territorial Wrestling Review. Uh, me and my one of my old mentors, Quentin Charisma, would just get together once a week and we watch uh, old wrestling. And it's kind of a watch along, so you can like play it. And we link the YouTube videos. And sometimes, and we don't watch, we don't pre-watch them. We just look for interesting titles and pick it so sometimes it's terrible <laughs> so i have i have links on 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 the site uh, a link to your weebly page your uh website your pro wrestling uh what is it pro wrestling ent pro wrestling tees your twitter your instagram your facebook and then i have a if you guys go to youtube you can um you can click the link that has a search uh, of Jeremiah Plunkett matches on YouTube. And then of course uh, there's a link where you can just click on news about Jeremiah Plunkett from alliance-wrestling.com. So you can see some of the older articles that uh, we wrote about what JP was doing back in the day, uh, winning Australian titles and, you know, <laughs> and living, living the life of a true uh, world renowned wrestler. JP, Jeremiah Plunkett, thanks so much for being on here, man. I do appreciate it. Um, I'm going to try to check out that podcast. What was it again? The Territory? Territorial Wrestling with an R. How it should be spelled. Review. Yes. All right, man. That's awesome. I'm going to take a look. Uh, until next time, we'll see you guys at the matches. Have a good night. Of course, uh, make sure if you didn't tune into Power Tonight, you check it out on Friday. And uh, I'm stalling here where I'm looking for the little show closed. And uh, no one has ever called the show professional before, so I, I appreciate that. Thank you. And, oh, uh, wait until you hear this podcast and you'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll do it for us. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining the stream. This has been a presentation of Alliance-Wrestling.com. We genuinely appreciate your support. Would you consider subscribing so you'll never miss a future episode? I'd also like to remind you we do a live stream every Tuesday at 5 p.m. before NWA Power. You can find us on social media at The Alliance Blog. And until next time, we are The Alliance.